We discuss Philo CEO's pro-subscriber stance on price increases, unbundling, SVOD aggregation and personalization, and look at Nielsen data packing big surprises for streamers. Listen on to hear more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon there at the uh, top of the broadcast, at the top of the podcast, rather, uh, from End Screen Media. Hey, Colin. Hey, Will. Uh, it is warm and toasty out here in California. 92 degrees today. Wow. In, in the Bay Area, and my goodness, I think that's breaking all sorts of records. Wow. But I, I suspect it's a bit more chilly where you are. A little bit more chilly. I am suffering from a pretty tough head cold right now, as listeners may hear in my voice. So I am kind of just struggling along here a little bit. But I am getting us started this week, on with uh, one news item that caught my attention. I think it caught yours as well. Uh, which we were pleased to see that Amazon and Roku extended. Um, they have uh, renewed their deal, which means that um, Prime Video and IMDb TV, both of those apps, will continue to remain on uh, Roku devices. No interruption for users. That's a positive step. Um, we've certainly seen Roku. Uh, have challenges um, with HBO and YouTube and others. So that's a positive for users that um, there were no issues, no public spats or anything like that. They seem to have worked things out. Uh, so that was one item that caught my attention. How about you? What was on, uh, or what did you think of that? I guess before you get to your news item, what was your take? I think this must have been a pretty difficult negotiation. Well, I mean, when you think about it, Amazon. And uh, Roku are pretty competitive on all fronts in the CTV space. Um, you know, they're both uh, obviously they're both competing in streaming media player sales. They're both con- competing for connected TV advertising dollars. There's the Roku channel, and there's IMDb TV, and uh, and they're both competing in the TVOS licensing market with <laughs> with television manufacturers. So this had to have been a pretty tense set of negotiations, but. You know, um, in the end, it made a lot of sense for them to come to an agreement after all. But having IMDb TV and Amazon Prime Video on Roku, particularly Prime Video, it's pretty essential that that be available. Yeah. And also the Roku channel is available on Fire TV. So this was probably a quid pro quo, a case of co-opetition, I think. Co-opetition, good term. I think that's exactly right. So, uh, how about you? What was on? What news item was on your radar before we get to the uh, the main story this week? Well, I'm not sure if our readers saw this, but I think Fubo TV and David Gandler, who's the CEO there, I think they've got a bit of the Christmas Grinch in them. Will this this week? Last week, Fubo did, announced that they were dropping the starter plan for new signups, and I think particularly uncharitably, they arbitrarily i think just said hey uh, anybody on that plan this week you are now paying five dollars more and you have to go up to the next the next tier so they just completely withdrew the starter plan for everybody in the space of a week and forced existing subscribers to move up to a higher level and pay more so i don't know how would you feel about that 
Well, nobody wants to get a $5 price increase, obviously, so that's not good news for anybody. But at the same time, um, people have choice. And so if they don't like that price increase or they can find what they want elsewhere, there are certainly other options. There sure are. And, and that actually sort of links to one of our main items this week. And that was I was listening to an interview on uh, YouTube on Michael Saves YouTube channel with Andrew McCollum, who is CEO of Philo, which is one of the virtual MVPD providers. It's actually it's a little bit smaller. We're not quite sure exactly how many subscribers they have between Last time they last time they stated they said they had eight hundred thousand subscribers, but that was a year or two ago now. So maybe they're in the one million range, something like that now. But one of the things uh, one of the things that came across really clearly in this interview, will, uh, and I recommend people give this uh, interview a listen. It's very interesting. Is Andrew McCullum definitely was very pro subscriber. He at least uh, at least in the, this interview, he talked about a lot of the things that the company was doing that he considered to be pro, pro-consumer, pro and in particular, pro-subscriber. So I mentioned how uncharitable I thought Fubo TV was being with their subscribers. And he took completely a different tack. He talked about the fact that uh, when Philo increased its price from $20 to $25 a month uh, last year, it allowed existing subscribers who were at $20 to stay on that price level if they wanted so when they when they bumped the price to five by by five dollars they added more channels channels and they boosted dbr capacity but they allowed existing subscribers who were paying 20 who didn't want to pay more they didn't get the other channels or boosted dbr capacity but they could stay where they were and he said we always allow people that are already subscribed to keep what they have and that was a that was a theme with him he you know, he wanted to find ways to reward loyal subscribers, people who have been with this with the service before. So, look, I, I I don't think he's going to be able to stick with that forever. He's going to have to raise prices on the, even the lowest price tiers because we know programmers um, love to raise prices. Uh, but that's a pretty pro subscriber position. So I don't know. Uh, I, that sounds a lot more palatable. To me, yeah. I mean, I know you've got more that you want to talk about in the interview, but I I wonder if it's worth for listeners that aren't familiar with Philo, because as you mentioned, it's a smaller service. I wonder if you should just spend a moment talking about what is available on Philo, because it's no no sports and no news, right? That's correct. That's that's their big claim to fame, and the reason. So they are now the low cost leaders, will. Because because they don't have any sports or any news, they can really bring the price down pretty dramatically for what people get. So this is really an entertainment virtual MVPD, really focuses on live TV that's entertainment based. So what are you going to find here? Well, you're going to find A&E, AMC, TLC, you're going to find MTV, Food Network, Home and Garden TV, that that type of thing, BBC America, Comedy Central. So there's there's a lot there's a lot here uh, that uh, people I think will find uh, entertaining and interesting. But actually, that brings up a pretty interesting point about the service. And one of the things that other things that he said will was that this you know he would like to find a way 
to provide sports and news to his customers if they wanted. So um, the the guy that was interviewing him, he asked him, you know, what about sports and news? And he said that uh, he'd like to add, he would like to provide a sports package, a bundle of sports channels and the bundle of news channels, premium news channels, to his subscribers for an extra subscription, which is, you know, I, you know, obviously that would be very good for customers because Philo, Philo would be offering them a more complete package uh, and he could still separate out those charges. But as you and I both know, programmers are not likely to do that, right? right. Because they've, they've just not done it in the past and I don't see anything major changing since the last time somebody tried to do this. I think Verizon tried to do this with a was it Verizon who tried to do this with with Fios and they got sued by the programmers and they had to put everything back the way it was in the, in the traditional bundle so I can't see that working in the short term can you I think that's very hard to see happening Colin I, I very much concur with what you're saying um, I think if anything the trend is going to be even more to bundling and um, and also bundling the streaming services as well, uh, because the networks want to have their streaming services get more subscribers, more usage as well. So yeah, I would say that's going to be a tough that's going to be a tough trick for Philo to pull off. And and talking of bundling, he did talk about SVOD aggregation, and he had a really interesting point to make and I, I'm going to read you what he said and I'm really interested in your take on this as well he said there is a lot of overlap in some of the content between the live linear experience and those on-demand plus services and for that reason we would really love to find a way that if you're a Philo subscriber you can get those services at a much lower cost it makes sense you know you shouldn't have to pay for things twice so he's looking because people can watch say, you know, This Is Us on broadcast TV and in Hulu, he wants his subscribers to get a discount from Hulu because they're providing the same content as they're already paying for. So, (laughs) you know, this is an interesting spin. But first of all, I don't see how this could possibly work for consumers. Uh, uh, Well, it could work for consumers, but I don't see how it could possibly work for Philo and for providers, because how on earth do you work out this overlap? I have no idea. And second of all, where is the motivation for for somebody like Hulu to even do something like this? So, you know, I, I don't know. That sounded like a bit of a crazy idea to me. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm going to concur with you, Colin. I don't really see how Hulu would accept a lower rate uh, for because some of its content is included elsewhere. Um, that just doesn't seem like a practical solution to me. Um, but, you know, I think what you're, the quote that you gave is, you know, more of an aspirational, I would say aspirational on his part, try, you know, trying to, you know, explain what sort of his, you know, nirvana would look like. But the reality of it happening seems pretty low. Yeah, and I think he kind of he, he's sort of missing the point of a, a service like Hulu or a service like Peacock, because what people are paying for—I mean, many many people now are paying for a service like Hulu or Peacock or um, uh, Discovery Plus or something like that—and 
they, they yes, it is duplicating content that they already have in their pay TV subscription because you know after all, many many people still do have a pay TV subscription, um, and. What they're really paying for, I think, with the other service is a different business model, right? They're paying for a, a, a different access model. So they could watch a show like This Is Us on broadcast cha- on the broadcast channel if they wanted to. But they're paying for the convenience of not having to do that. They can pay, they're paying for the convenience of being able to watch when they want, watch without ads, and you know, watch multiple episodes at once, which is something that typically is not offered by their pay TV provider or, you know, um, it's sort of half offered with a DVR and ad skipping, I suppose. Uh, so I think that sort of misses, kind of misses the point of what's really being offered here by Hulu and, and Peacock, etc. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> For the third time in five minutes, say that I concur with you. Um, so no radical differences in opinion today on any of that. I don't know. Is there anything else from the interview, Colin, that caught your eye, or what? Um... There was there was one more thing. Well, he was talking about future. He was asked about future, what he'd like to provide to his customers, and he said, "Why shouldn't a TV channel work more like Spotify or Pandora radio station, where if you don't like what's on, you don't have to wait an hour for a new show new show to come on. You can just skip to the next thing." Over time, we can learn what your likes and dislikes are and tailor the channel to better match your preferences. So I, I had to smile with this because th- this already exists. So there's a service called Zone TV. Zone TV has a bunch of channels, like eight channels, that work exactly in the way that Mr. McCollum is suggesting. They, they react to your likes and dislikes and they start to emphasize segments uh, that are better matched to you you can even do this thing called they call it zonify and they're using ai in the background if you're watching a show that you like and you select the zonify button basically what happens in the back end is the ai will queue up a bunch of shows like uh, like that segment that you're watching and create a completely custom channel for you hmm. based on based on that. So I, I had to laugh. He thinks this is in the future. I, you know, I, I should maybe I should send him an email and tell him it already exists. Uh, actually, that sounds pretty cool. I haven't seen that feature on. I haven't watched Zone TV, but um, that does sound like a pretty cool feature. It, it is way cool. And Jeff Weber, who's the CEO, I've spoken to him many times, and he's uh, licensing these channels to. I think they're available on Comcast's. Xfinity system and several other pay TV services as well. He's really focused on bringing these to pay TV, pay TV audiences. So, and, and they're, do, they're doing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Well, do we have time left to do something else today, Colin, or what do you think? I think there's a, there's a couple of, couple of really interesting points. There was a, a, a Nielsen yeah. report. Uh, Nielsen's state of play report that we both looked at. There were a couple of things that really caught my eye in that. What caught your eye? Well, I mean, one thing that certainly caught my eye is just, you know, we know there's been an explosion of content out there, um, but Nielsen helped to quantify that. So uh, they said that there are now over 817,000 unique titles, program titles that are available on uh, traditional TV and streaming services in the United States. 
that this actually comes courtesy of Grace Note, Nielsen's Grace Note uh, unit. Um, and that's actually up 26% from December of 2019 uh, when they counted about 650,000 unique program titles. So, um, so no surprise from that, there are a lot of people who feel overwhelmed by the amount of content that's out there right now. They quantified it at 46%. But people seem to be, you know, adopting more services in order to, you know, kind of keep pace. And I thought it was interesting to note that, but something like 58%, uh, 58, 59% of people who pay for a video service now have three or more of these services. Um, I think if I'm tallying that up right, whereas that was just back in uh, 2019, that was just about a third. So people are subscribing to more services than ever. They may, that may be contributing to why they feel overwhelmed, but you know, it certainly shows how valuable these services have become. So those were just a few things that caught my eye in the Nielsen report. I can share a few others, but why don't you share what, you, what caught your attention? Yeah, yeah, I'm really that that number, that 58% with three or more services. That's a a big jump from 2019. They said it was uh, about a third in 2019, 32%. So that's a big jump, and that really shows how us uh, streaming subscribers are doubling up on services. Will I think? And the interesting thing was that they said that 72% of Americans say, I love my user experience with video streaming services. 72%. I thought that was yeah. uh, pretty, huge, huge. You know, pretty interesting. The other thing they, they mentioned, I thought this was kind of funny. Um, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but Deloitte put some uh, research last week that really showed very, very high churn rates inside of uh, of pay of paying uh, virtual MVPD services, and Nielsen actually calls out the delight report because what they found was quite different. They said they found that ninety three percent of Americans plan to either increase their paid streaming services or make no change to their existing plans. And they say, you know, this data sounds somewhat opposed to market expectations by many, such as Deloitte. So I don't know, Nielsen's getting a little bit punchy <laughs> these days, uh, taking on what some of the some other analyst groups are actually saying. And yeah, I I, I wonder about that uh, churn the churn data that we're seeing. Well, it does seem to be the numbers do seem to be very high and. Maybe just believing what people tell you is just a bad idea sometimes. Maybe they tell you one thing and they actually do another. I know as an analyst looking at, looking at that type of survey data, when people say they're going to cut a service or, or, or reduce their services, way, way, way fewer actually follow through than say they're going to do it. So that's, that's very typical that that happens. Another thing I really loved was they get, they, they showed how much, how TV time is sort of divided up now between traditional and streaming. And make no mistake that, you know, live TV and traditional TV still, uh, for the average American, still is the dominant way that people watch. So 72% still comes from live TV or time-shifted. So it's 60% live TV, 12% time-shifted TV, I guess from a DVR or something. 
But what that means is that 28% now for the average is a t coming from a TV connected device. And that is substantially high. I didn't get a chance to run these numbers on Nielsen's early reports, maybe from 2020, but I got a feeling that that is way higher than it was for the average American uh, just, a, just a year ago. So that, I think, is another big revelation for me from this data. Yeah, and then I think we just have a minute left, Colin, but what about the VMVPD data from, from the Nielsen report? I think you we were talking before, that was something also that was pretty cool. It really was a very eye-opening, Will. One of the things that VMVPDs are not very good at is telling us how they're doing. So, for example, we talked about Philo. Philo hasn't said how many subscribers it's had, I think, in at least a year and a half, at least 18 months. And I think it's the same for YouTube TV. They've really not stated how many subscribers they've had since I think they said they, they had 3 million and it was two years ago and it was mentioned in a, um, mentioned in one of the earnings calls for Alphabet for, from the CEO there. And uh, actually what Nielsen provided here was they showed the number of people or number of homes, TV homes, that they say are using each of the major VMVPD services. And the surprising thing is they said that 5% of homes are using YouTube TV. So that's 5% of TV homes. Now, if you multiply by Nielsen's number of TV homes, which is 122.4, that gives you 6 million homes, which is like twice what Google said YouTube TV had just a year or so ago, which is pretty amazing. It's also the high, it will be the highest number that I've seen anybody estimate for uh, YouTube TV. So I'm wondering what's going on here. The only thing I can think, Will, is that a lot of people are sharing their YouTube TV login with other family members who are not resident. Uh, I know YouTube allows you quite a few streams. I think YouTube TV allows you about six streams, which is very unusual for this this business. So you're a YouTube TV user. Are you sharing your credentials? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my kids who are out of the house, they, they're able to access it. Um, so uh, I think that is a commonly common way for people to use YouTube TV. Do you, you have one more thing you said quick that you wanted to go through? Or? Yeah, I just want to say that in this data also, they didn't include Philo and they didn't include Fubo TV, which is kind of strange because right. both of those are fairly substantial. You know, as I mentioned, Philo could be a million. We know that Fubo is now over a million. I think 1.1 million was, was what they said they had last time. Uh, so I thought that was kind of surprising. But um Yes, that's a, so that's very interesting data from, from Nielsen, and it's free. You can pick this up for free. It's called Nielsen's State of Play 2021. And I think that's it for this week, Colin. So good uh, reviewing all this data with you, as always. And good talking to you, Will. Thanks, everyone, for listening in on uh, this week's version of Inside the Stream. And we will see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved. <laughs>